so I kind of set out on a mission to learn as much as I could. And Power to Live More with Joe Dodds. Welcome to the Power to Live More podcast, all about productivity, organization, well-being, energy, and resilience. I'm Joe Dodds and I started this show back in 2016 to enable interesting people to share their stories about how they use their power to live more and by that I mean how they focus on productivity, organisation, well-being, energy and resilience to enable them to do more of the stuff that they want to do and less of the stuff that they don't. After 241 shows, I've taken a pause from doing new interviews to reshare previous interviews. They were too good to not revisit. So please do bear in mind that this podcast might refer to events from the past as current or in the future. But rest assured that the stories, tips and advice shared by my guests continues to be pure gold. Hello, my name is Ellie Dodd and I'm co-presenter and today Joe's interviewing Tony Miltenberger. Joe and Tony met through the podcasting Facebook group that last week's guest, Jan, runs. Tony's lead pastor at Restoration Church in Centerville, Ohio, and married to his high school sweetheart with three children aged 13, 8 and 6. He spent 14 years in the Army Reserve as a chaplain's assistant with deployments all over the world. It was through those deployments that he was forced to look at the at the values in his life in new ways, including how to be happily married and where he was spending his time. He's the author of Unbreakable, Forging a Marriage of Content and Delight, Abingdon 2014, a book written about his own marital struggles and other struggles that he saw after service deployments. He's a Master's of Divinity from United Theological Seminary and is a coach for kids' sports and avid Reds, Bengals and Buckeyes fan. Back to studio. Today I'm interviewing Tony Miltenberger of Restoration Church Centerville in Ohio. So welcome, Tony. Thanks for joining me. Thank you so much for having me, Joe. It's an honor to be on. So pleased to get you on here. In fact, with um, having connected via a Facebook group for podcasters. So uh, we're uh, I'm you know I'm on my best behavior now. Now that I've got another professional. <laughs> oh, I'm I'm definitely not professional and I don't like best behavior I'd rather just be kind of raw let's <laughs> yeah it sounds much better I told you already I'm having a bit of a, a bad day so it might go all a bit random so I'll just warn you now <laughs> perfect perfect so tell us what you do and uh, where you do it sure well I'm a I'm a pastor I'm the lead pastor of a church in Centerville Ohio and Ohio if you're not familiar with the U.S. is kind of like uh, Midwest below Michigan below the Great Lakes above Kentucky. So we're north of the Mason-Dixon line in the Midwest and Centerville is in the southwest corner near Cincinnati. So um, we're kind of smack dab in the middle of the United States and Centerville specifically is in the uh, the bottom left portion of Ohio. And I serve as a lead pastor in a church here of about um, three or 400 and uh, do a little blogging, podcasting and just uh, love connecting with people. Lovely. I always think it's interesting when I interview people from the States because I've generally heard of most of the places that they mention, but I generally have no idea where they all sit in terms of the map. Uh, I'm I, I'm reasonably good on the UK, but I think most people aren't very good 
uh, even here. So uh, I think most U.S. <laughs> people aren't very good at it either. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> Geography is not a strong suit. No, well, it's such a big place, isn't it? <laughs> right, strong, yeah. <laughs> so uh, interesting to hear um, the, the numbers of uh, of the church. I think about our local church. They might say those numbers, but I never see that number in church unless there's like a big concert or something. <laughs> and uh, is, is it um, in the sort of certain areas of America, it's quite the, the whole church thing's much bigger than it is over in the U UK, I think. But correct me if yeah, I'm wrong. They, they would yeah, say, um, they would say that in the kind of the Midwest and below the Mason-Dixon line, what we would call the Bible Belt, that right. churches are still really big. And even mm -hmm. in my community, we're not really a big church comparable. There's two churches of over several thousand just in, in my town. Right. And so um, we're kind of a, a, a local church, like a neighborhood church. A lot of our people that attend here live within a couple miles, but we mm -hmm. offer, you know, that uh, unique sense of authentic community. And we work really hard to connect people with each other and, and with their faith walk. Mm -hmm. It's interesting. I was singing in Prague last year in a choir that I'm in and on the Sunday we sang a mass at a Catholic church over there and it was it was a really big it, it looked almost like Stalinist it was really sort of stark and square and and we'd just been in like the oldie worldie beautiful church the previous day so it was a, quite an odd environment to be in and what but what surprised me was that most of the congregation were young people and it looked really formal and then when they went to do communion, they actually went out into the congregation and actually offered communion while, while they were all sort of seated and stuff. Whereas in England, it's very much you sort of troop to the front of the church, whether you're, you know, Church of England or Catholic. And um, it was just it was quite a contrast. But it was what really surprised me was that it was the whole uh, the, the age profile compared to, you know, churches in my experience in the UK are very much the older generation, you know, with a few younger people, whereas there it just seemed to be full of young people, which uh, I thought, you know, was really interesting. And I, I guess it's just interesting how, you know, religion and churches are just different all around the world. And we think that society is moving in certain ways. But from what I see, I don't know that there's a pattern to it at all, really. Uh, well, I haven't been able to identify a pattern at all. And I'm, I'm 38. And when I came to the church as the lead pastor, I was, uh, that was four years ago. So I was 34. Mm -hmm. And the whole reason they brought me in was to get the church younger because right, so many yeah. of the, the kind of the demographic of the congregation was significantly older. And we've done that. But um, in contrast to that formality, we've gone informal. So I, I generally, when I uh, preach and teach, I do it in jeans and um, it's a super relaxed atmosphere. We took out the pews and put in chairs and we use contemporary music and that's kind yeah. of the way that things are going here in the U.S. But mm -hmm. I, I think you're right. I, I'm not sure that anyone can quite figure out what this faith trend looks like and what's going to be what's going to be next. And we we say here all the time that it it has to be the mission over the method, rather yeah. the mission of yeah. why we're doing has to be so much more important than the method. And I I joke that if if bagpipes will bring people into the church, then let's <laughs> let's use it. I mean, whatever works. <laughs> So tell us more about why you do what you do. You've, you've had a fairly interesting background. You've already um, mentioned a bit of it. So tell us how you got to where you are now. So um, when I was uh, when I was a student, um, I witnessed 
my parents' divorce. And it was a, a fairly traumatizing event. And the only thing that kind of um, helped me through that was this youth ministry group that I was a part of. And then this group that uh, was kind of like JROTC, like a junior military kind of group. And so when I was in high school, I clung to those two things for my sanity. And then uh, eventually became a chaplain's assistant in the Army Reserve here in, in the United States. And so then I was doing ministry in the Army and just continued to find structure and faith, uh, giving me hope and grace. And so I do what I do to try to give people the same thing that the church gave me. And that's a vision for something bigger than whatever circumstances are going through my life right now. Yeah. So has was that the theme all through? So so when you're in the army reserves, um, that was what you had in mind at the time, or is that where you've come to having then sort of lived your life to this point? It, it's definitely where I've come to. I, I would say that part of my journey with the army and uh, was about escaping um, and and trying to figure out what I was going to do with my life. Mm. It was. It was something I was good at and I was drawn to, but it wasn't necessarily, I couldn't have articulated, um, you know, kind of my understanding of why I was doing it back then, like mm. I can now. I, I just needed something and I, I wasn't mature enough for school or college and I needed to figure out what the next step of my life was and the army was a, a great way to do that. Mm-hmm. Do you think you had a, a bit of an advantage over your, your colleagues when coming out of the army because you sort of had something that you'd done before that was a, I mean, I, I know you all learn skills in the military, but quite often it's quite difficult coming out of the military into something in, what do you call it? What do you call it in America? We call it Civvy Street. What do you call it? <laughs> um, <laughs> going into, we, we would just kind of call it going into the private sector. Um, okay. Well, it's much posher in America. You know. Right. <laughs> um, yeah, you know, this is what I'll say is that um, in all of my ministry training, um, it's been great. But one thing that they don't really do very well in ministry training, from my experience, is teach you how to lead people. And yeah. the military does a tremendous job of helping you lead people. And and we joke all the time that the church would be perfect if it weren't for all the people. Um <laughs> Right. And, it, and so, you know, for us, like uh, being a young pastor with military experience means that I'm not I'm not naive about how the people part of this business is going to work. Whereas a lot of my colleagues struggle because they've never managed people in tentious or difficult situations. But I've been deployed around the world a couple times and through that experience, the army has kind of given me this prepackaged um, portfolio of, of leadership. Yeah, yeah. So talk us through what a sort of average day looks like. And I know you're going to tell me there isn't one, <laughs> but what sort of things do you do? You do? Well, I, I am a, a big proponent of block scheduling, if you're familiar with that, mm -hmm. um, in terms of, of how I operate my calendar. I also know that I'm I'm at my best from uh, 5 a.m. to 10 a.m. So I 
I set up my day so that my mornings are predominantly where I do my writing and my research and where I do my creative stuff. I think I have my best creative brain in the morning. So most days I will do, um, try to go to the gym in the morning after some initial private study, usually 4.35 a.m. I'm at the gym by 6, and then I'm usually writing by 7.30 or 8. And then uh, I'll write and I'll block that out usually till about um, 10, depending on how the, the morning goes. And then the rest of the day is connecting with people. And I try to be really intentional about making sure that I never lose sight of the people part of this job. And then every day I'm home to get my kids off of the school bus at uh, at 2.30. So I do that because a lot of my work takes me to the evening, um, the evening activities when I'm going to connect with more people and, and meetings and kind of the business of the church happens with the congregation at night. So I'm home from 2.30 till 5 and I spend that time with my kids and I try to intentionally be there for them. And then usually two to three nights a week, I have to go back to the church in the evening and mm. um, and then do some meetings and such. Yes, yeah. Do you think the, the life of being a pastor actually helps with that structuring because there's those demands on your time? Um, I think so. I, I think... I think the beautiful part about where I'm at at least and, and the people that I get to work with and serve and is that I, I get to set the culture as the lead pastor. And so just like any organization, the culture that you set um, kind of helps dictate the health, I believe. So I, I, I've set up everything so that we can work virtually. We don't have to be in the church because the truth is the people that you're trying to reach aren't here. You know, our target <laughs> our target audience is not walking into my office to talk to me about their faith. Our target audience is in the community. So, you know, we want to set up ourselves so that we can be in the community and do stuff. And then you can take that flexible time as you need it. I Mm -hmm. I take a nap almost every day and and all of my, all of my staff have couches in their offices. (laughs) We, because (laughs) just because we work weird hours and sometimes you just need to get fresh and, I find that a good 15 minute nap is is one of the ways that I can do that. So I'll do that and then I can go back and have a better mindset for the evening. Now, I don't know many lead pastors in America, <laughs> but, <laughs> oh, but I do know a lot of line managers and um, I do know a bit about productivity and so on. And you're painting a picture to me of sort of a great place to work which I talk about on a different podcast that that I'm involved in with the UK movement around employee engagement um so you know just in in a short space of time you've given me some some indication of sort of flexibility you know using technology to improve the way that uh, you operate rather than sort of overwhelm people and get in in the way of it uh and you know having that flexibility understanding that you need flexibility and therefore you're giving flexibility is that unusual? Bearing in mind, you're the only lead pastor I know <laughs> in America, probably. Um, Never mind, just Ohio. <laughs> I, I would. <laughs> I feel very honored. Um, yeah, I would. I would say it is. I would say that it's a trend that uh, people like me um, and and Joe, you and I kind of share that similar vision for creating a place where people 
are um, is is life giving. As mm-hmm. as I've looked at your body of work, I feel like that's one of your missions that I see over and over again. And and the thing about the church work is that it it never ends. So if we don't find a way to be life giving to the people that are called to this mission, eventually what will happen is you'll just burn them out. Yeah. And I, I worked at a big mega church before becoming a lead pastor here. And they did a lot of things well, but the expectation that we would be on all the time was um, very overwhelming. And it led to some really bad habits in my life. And so I've kind of created a culture where I hoped that I would never do that as a leader for someone else. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's interesting. I was at a conference yesterday chairing the employee engagement and motivation stream. And one of my uh, colleagues at Engage of Success who's an entrepreneur came to speak and she's she's quite uh well I described her as mad as a box of, of frogs but brilliant and in fact she she's been on my podcast so for anyone listening who wants to go, go back and hear from her her name's Laura Morgan I think she was on 79 or something and uh she was saying that her uh, one of her team had just called her that morning and said uh, that there's a there was a problem with uh, one of her parents I think illness wise or something and was it okay if she um took the afternoon off or something and she was brilliant because she just told the whole audience she said so I told her Sarah if we ever have to have the conversation again about whether you should be putting family above your work she said I will fire you that's beautiful <laughs> and I just thought it's just so lovely because you know she really paints a picture of you know really tough you know sales driven successful business but with absolute brilliant values which are that you know your each and every one of you is important and you have to look after yourselves first and foremost because otherwise we can't do all these things that we want to do in the business and I just thought it was such a you know refreshing uh, perspective well, to have and you know what you're we, saying sort of fits with that and we we have our our cultural values our, our kind of our staff values and we put them in every single office and one of them is is that we believe in in family first and courageous truth and individual ownership of the mission like if if this organization is dependent on me to manage the day-to-day activities of the staff we will we will fail miserably because i'm horrible at that i'm they that's not even what i'm here for i'm here to be a a teacher preacher visionary not a manager of people i I, and i'm horrible at it horrible Shall we send a memo to them just to remind them of that? <laughs> oh, they know. They know. <laughs> because they're always asking me about this detail or that detail. And I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> if you don't know it, I don't know it. <laughs> oh, brilliant. So you talked a bit about um, making it so that people don't have to be in in the church or in their office even to, to, to get the job done. You talked about using technology. What sort of... Um, tech are you using what sort of apps and tools and things do you use and do you get your team to use well so we are big uh slack users here mm-hmm. um and we we love slack and actually we have a communication hierarchy because we all work virtually so uh, a lot of the week anyway so the kind of the, the rule of thumb is is that if you uh, email and we use outlook um, if you email then you basically have 24 hours to respond if you slack then we respond within the workday. And then if we text, you respond within a couple hours. And if I call, pick up the phone. Yeah. 
Yeah. And we, we kind of have that as kind of a stated value system. And then we also use uh, Dropbox quite a bit to share files. Um, mm -hmm. And then th the last thing is that we probably use the most is we use Voxer if uh, for kind of team group messaging uh, with, you know, audio. Voxer, did you say? Voxer. It's a walkie talkie. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Walkie talkie. Oh, okay, yeah. Cool. Yeah, yeah. I'm just, I'm just sitting here smiling to myself, thinking, um, I know that our church probably doesn't speak for all of the churches in uh, in the UK, but the idea of of the uh, key people in it using Slack. <laughs> 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 I know you're not a number of them, as they are involved with my uh, local choral society, which is also uh, of uh, people of a certain age, and uh, and yeah, I mean, email is is almost a step too far. <laughs> And honestly, most of my now I, I'm I'm one of the older people on our team at, at 38. We have a very young staff mm -hmm. and that was part of that vision of getting younger. But um, and they all hate email. They yeah. hate it. And yeah. so it's, yeah. it's the least effective way to communicate. And oftentimes I have to put notes at the bottom of the email just to see if they read all the way to the bottom. <laughs> <laughs> oh, brilliant. Uh, interesting. Well, in our. Um, team at Engage for Success, we use Slack, but uh, we've got some new people who've come in, who've come from the public sector where email is, you know, everything and they copy everyone in and all that sort of stuff. And it's been interesting, again, even though I knew this because it happened before, to see how the prevailing uh, preference starts to change what's already here. Because if you've just received an email from somebody copying everyone else in, then the natural thing to do is reply to it. It's not natural to sort of go to Slack to reply to an email. And uh, it's interesting, you know, that that you have to live the process as well as just have the tool, don't you? Well, and I, I find that the leader sets the tone for so much of that, mm. that if I email, then they'll respond an email. But if I jump to Slack, then... Yes they'll jump to Slack too, because that's where we're communicating. Yeah, and so yeah. even creating, uh, putting files into Slack and using the fullness of the Slack function is is an important way to remind the team that this is something that we say we value and, and we have to practice. Mm -hmm. So you talked about writing earlier, and I guess some of that is your, um, I've completely forgotten the word. <laughs> The things sermon. you say when yes. you're in church. Sermon. Sermon. Yep. <laughs> sermon, you got it. I'm here to help you. We're in it together. I thought you might have thought, you know, come up with a, a, a new funky name for it or something. I was just giving you that opportunity. Sometimes <laughs> <laughs> we so, call yeah. it a talk. <laughs> yeah, okay, talk, your talk, your presentation, your whatever. Sure. Um, yeah, your sermon. So, but uh, you've also uh, written a book in the past, haven't you? I have. I, I have. Mm. In, in 2014, I published a book through Abington Press. Um, called Unbreakable, Forging a Marriage of Contentment and Delight. I, I wrote that with a, a co-author named Charles Causey. And um, and writing is one of my passions. And writing about relationships was is a huge passion in my life because I think, you know, obviously we, we can't get around the world without being in relationships, but yet we don't often take time to learn about what it means to be in those relationships. So mm -hmm. we wrote that book after doing a year of marriage retreats for soldiers coming back from deployment from war. And uh, after that year, we realized that, man, there's there's a need here that we could might be able to help meet uh, to write about what does God's love look like in the concept of your marriage? 
Mm. And, and so it was a it was a passion project. Anyone who's written knows that it's like uh, a, it's a labor of love and it's insanely maddening the whole time, <laughs> especially <laughs> writing, with, especially writing with a co-author because you're constantly kicking stuff back and forth going, no, that's garbage. You, you know, you can't you can't say that like that or you got to change that and <laughs> trying to get that constant voice. And eventually what we did is is just. Uh, he took a chapter, I took a chapter and, and went back and forth like that. So yeah, so we found yeah. a way to make it work. So it was written through some of your own experience as well as the sort of service that you were providing for those returning um, army people, wasn't it? You yeah. talk about the challenges that you found yourself having been deployed. I went, so it was, it was interesting. I was deployed in 2004 and it was... Um, 2004 to 2005. And while I was deployed, there was a sense of engagement that really appealed to my type A personality um, because the mission is always so important, right? And yeah. you're over there and you're serving and it's just, it's very fulfilling. It's very purposeful work and it feels like it's the most important thing in the world. Mm. Well, I came home and, and we shortly found out after me coming home um, that we're pregnant with our first child. And uh, there was a lot of celebration after coming home. Yeah. <laughs> and, 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 and I, I struggled. I struggled to find any sense of, of meaning in the world that I lived in when I got home. And so much so that there was a day, and I'll, I'll never forget it, Joe, I, there was a day that my wife asked me to take out the trash and I began to yell, take out the trash. Do you know what I've done? Do you know what I've seen? And 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 I, I just lost it. And yeah. I remember going to my knees and, and leaning onto my wife's pregnant belly. And as my tears kind of just hit her feet, I remember saying, I think I have to go back to the war because it's the only thing that makes sense. Wow. And, and it wasn't until I held my son, Connor, who uh, who looked me in the eyes. And, and it wasn't until I held him that I realized I have to figure this out. I have to figure out what it means to be married with all this messiness in my own head, this this kind of sense of call and, and purpose and, and how to be in a relationship when I didn't know how to talk about anything that I had been through. Mm -hmm. So, so I kind of set out on a mission to learn as much as I could. And the army has all of these opportunities to go on retreats. And so I would sign up for every single one. And if there was an online class, I would take it. And, and so we used all sorts of marriage curriculum. And eventually I kept showing up at so many things that the army said, Hey, why don't you teach this? <laughs> and, and, um, and that's how I, I got the the opportunity to do that. And that was 2007 when I was deployed to Minnesota, which is like the cold, horrible part of the United States. <laughs> it's a beautiful country, but it's, it gets very cold in the winter. And uh, we were stationed in Minnesota, but we would travel around that kind of Midwest part of the United States doing those retreats. And that's what that's what led us to writing the book. Yeah, yeah, that's uh, such a, a powerful story, particularly as you say that that your wife was pregnant at the time where you had that sort of, I don't know if you call it a breakdown, but, you know, 
at that that moment you did have something on the horizon which quite often carries people through you know at that moment but you know even that was was not uh, you know making that happen at that particular moment it's it, it just i think people we my daughter's best friends um dad's in the army and I, I until i met them 10 years ago i didn't know anything about really the military and it's interesting it's it, it's like it's like a different society almost isn't it because we don't ever truly understand what that's like for people and you know i think you've you know given a, a window into it from from what you've just said uh and I, I, my mother-in-law uh, sometimes will talk about uh, someone we know whose husband uh is in the marines and you know she she said I, I think he actually quite enjoys it and i'm a bit like well <laughs> that's sort of why people do the job they do you know you can't really imagine that, that most people don't like it because they do that's why they do it but it doesn't make sense to people like us who don't do it well it's it's a different it is a different world i think you're right I, it's it's a different world and then it requires a different type of person and then once you're in it just like mm -hmm. anything you become more acclimated to it so then it becomes it, it's it's like work and then it's also your identity and then it becomes your yeah. life and it becomes your community and it it is sort of all consuming and mm -hmm. even you know after being in for you know over a dozen years i got out and and feels like the church is a natural fit because it, it kind of does the same thing for me it's got a, a high sense of mission and calling it creates community it creates kind of this identity and so I see a counselor every month and and that's one of the things that we've talked about is separating my personal identity from my work identity so that I can be the healthiest that I can be in serving my family as a husband to my wife and as you know a, a dad to my kids like I don't need to be Sergeant Meltenberger and I don't need to be Pastor Tony I just need to be Tony or dad Yes. And you talked a bit about that by sort of carving out that time when the children come home from school and so on. How, how else do you make sure that happens? As you say, when you're working in an organisation where it is 24-7 or could be, apart from carving out that time, what, what other things can you do to, to make that sort of divide and, and ensure that you're not losing that, that sort of family connection? I, I imagine some people feel they've still got it because the family quite often are involved in i mean it's not the same when you're actually sure. deployed in the army but you know on patches and things everyone's in the army and you know in your case everyone's in the church presumably but but that isn't truly being your family is it if, if it's on on someone else's sort of plan as well if you see what i mean right and and the other thing is is that oftentimes the church can feel like we can't negotiate with it. So when I've got to do a funeral or a wedding, my family stuff sometimes comes second to that. And yeah. that's a difficult thing to process. And mm. so one of the ways that we kind of overcome that is, is I intentionally offer to coach um, whatever my kids are involved in. Yes. And so if I can be there for practice in a way that lets me be directly involved with them in that kind of formation transformation kind of uh sports or activities then it gives me an opportunity to be a voice in the process that that they get to see and, and again part of the benefits of 
creating a culture where you can set your own schedule, um, being a coach and then being a pastor, I, I can manage the two intentionally because I get to control both schedules. Mm-hmm. And so, so one I, of the rules that my yeah. wife and I made is that I wouldn't work more than three nights a week mm-hmm. because I, mm-hmm. I could work every night if I wanted to, but, but instead of saying you can't work that much, what we say is, is that if, if you only work three nights a week, you can do whatever else you want. Yes. Yeah. So that, that thing about being intentional. Um, yeah. It's interesting. I, I, um, I did the sports coaching thing. I used to coach netball at, uh, early school. Um, I'm just wondering, have you have a, ever had them throw in the conversation that you're never around and you're too busy working and, and then you have to throw back, ha, I've been coaching your blah, blah, blah for the last however long. Have you forgotten that? <laughs> I have. I've had that. <laughs> uh, my oldest is 13. And so we're not quite to that point. Um, <laughs> yeah. My daughter's always been a bit precocious at, at 12. She's <laughs> always been there a few times. <laughs> Uh, the other thing that I love to do is is we have uh, we have date days with dad. Oh yeah. That okay. I I do with mm-hmm. with all my kids and um, we, we also recently when when my son turned thirteen, uh, my wife and I decided and and we kind of stole this idea from a number of different um, bloggers and podcasters is mm-hmm. is we had this kind of yet what we call a yes weekend, and so um, the same sex parent takes the thirteen year old away for a weekend and we say yes to anything with this, within a budget. And then in addition to that, um, we had all the men in the family write my son letters about what it means to be a man. And I wrote a letter to my son as well. And then two people who are influential in his life here at the church wrote a letter. And so throughout the course of the weekend, we're giving him kind of this instruction on what it means to be in this next season of his life. And so... It was really a, a powerful weekend for him to yeah. kind of hear this picture. I think that's just amazing. And in fact, I was going to tell you about that, but I couldn't remember all of the stories because I'd read it on Facebook somewhere and now I remember where I read it. <laughs> <laughs> it was you. <laughs> it was, it, yeah, I, no, I blogged about it and, and it, it clearly struck yeah. a nerve. A, a lot of people yeah. were really engaged in it because I, I think a lot of times, at least in the US culture, we forget to celebrate seasons of change and growth in in life not just in academy or in in work accomplishments but you know becoming 13 in our culture doesn't really mean anything because we've kind of stripped away the value of it and mm. i believe it's the family's job it's my job and my wife's job to to bring that back yes yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, I did. I read it because you posted it. We're friends on Facebook now. And I, you posted it. I read it. I thought it was brilliant. And as you know, my daughter's turning 13 in the summer. And I thought, oh, I love that idea of, of writing to her um, anyway. And uh, and literally, as you started saying, we have dad dates. I was thinking, oh, yeah, I must tell him about <laughs> that person who did that weekend with their son. <laughs> 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 heard that? You already know. <laughs> well, thank you for reading it. <laughs> Brilliant. So uh, you've recently started a, a podcast yourself. I have. I have. Uh, the we It's called the Reclamation Podcast, and it's, it's all about um, balancing faith and life. I think sometimes we feel like um, our, our belief in something greater than ourselves is competes with the busyness of our schedule. And so mm-hmm. I've kind of set out through an interview format similar to yours and trying to 
um, to talk to people about how they're cracking the code on on staying connected to their mission for their own life and their their connection to a higher power and what that looks like. Mm. And so how's it going? When did you start it? How have you organized yeah. yourself to do it? So <laughs> I, I started in January and um, I, uh, like everything, I give it time on my calendar by intentionally blocking out some of that time. So typically I've got a day that I do recording and editing and then another day where the podcast drops. But but I've been talking to just people of all different walks of life. And, and I, of course, stacked the deck in my favor in the beginning. And I interviewed all of my friends who are also pastors. And uh, to start for the first four or five episodes. And um, just See, you recently. had a longer list than me. I wouldn't have been very good if I'd done one on, uh, that needed pastors. Yeah, yeah. So, that I mean, that is the nice part is I know a lot of those people. <laughs> I'm also... <laughs> I'm a screaming extrovert. I, I just love to be around people. So I, I have a ton. I'm very blessed with just a ton of people in my life who are who I think are very wise people. And so and they love to talk as well. So you, you can put a pastor on a podcast. And as I'm demonstrating, they'll talk all day. <laughs> <laughs> Brilliant. I'll make a note of that when I'm looking. Yeah. for Yeah, <laughs> they never stop talking, obviously. <laughs> Brilliant. And what about um sort of tools and and that process for it is it something that uh, you're I was just talking to in fact to our mutual connection uh, Jan who's on uh, the podcast from probably last week by the time it uh, gets published and I was saying my process changes almost on a weekly basis and uh, because you know you find a tweak here you find something else that works a bit better there and then he gave me an idea whilst we we're on the podcast I'm gonna have to change it yet again <laughs> oh, what was the idea I want to steal it so he uses uh, Trello um, and I use Asana for okay. planning the process. Okay. And yeah, and he said that he realized that whilst he did that, he also had like his bio somewhere else and his questions somewhere else and then realized that actually he could just bring them all into a, a, a task on Trello for that person. And then it would all be in one place. And whilst I was talking to him, I'm looking at my uh, Google form and my Evernote account. <laughs> thinking yeah good point I could have done that too so uh, that's that's brilliant that yeah. is brilliant I'm definitely <laughs> going to steal that because I'm even I, like I'm not even as organized as you are and so I've, I've basically got a Dropbox folder that's got some of my form emails on it with questions and I do all my interviews over Skype um, and so then I'll mm -hmm. record over Skype and I'm still very much learning what are the best practices in that but I'm, I'm also a heavy Evernote user I put all of my sermons in Evernote and all my mm -hmm. questions in Evernote and then I, I tag them all and because of the nature of what I teach it's got so many different books of the Bible I also tag them by books of the Bible so that I can at the end of the year when I do kind of my yearly review I look at what I've been teaching and if I'm leaning too far in a certain direction or do I need to course correct any of that and so yeah. Yeah, I'm with you on that. That's that is brilliant. That is yeah. really good. Trello. Yeah. I'm writing that down. <laughs> well, yeah, certainly I, I have a, po a podcast uh, template, which I copy for everybody. So I keep having to change it because obviously <laughs> as I keep changing <laughs> my process. Uh, yeah. But, it, you know, and I do mostly I don't need to look at it because, you know, I know what I'm doing with it. But uh, it has been really helpful. And I've started to outsource quite a big chunk of what I do as well and that's made it really easy because I just give the 
VA access to Asana and then allocate the tasks. And in fact, she's chasing me now because she's working quicker than me. So <laughs> not only a bit like with my show notes lady, not only is it taking the bit that was a, a bit of a bottleneck for me and, and actually you know, taking that sort of stuff away that I didn't like doing, I'm actually getting hassled from them all <laughs> to give them more work and get on with it. That's genius. <laughs> I'm, you know, I am not to that point. We just started the podcast in January. And so mm. my show notes are pretty awful. I, and, <laughs> I, I, it's one of those things. It's like, uh, when I figure out how to do this better, I've got to get better at show notes. And, and right now I don't, I'm not using any of uh, any other resources outside of myself for the podcast yeah. process. So, um, yeah. I, I like what you're... Bits that were that were holding me up because I hated doing them. I don't know oh, that they I were doing them too. Things. I just want to talk. Yeah. Yes, exactly, exactly. So yeah, no. As soon as I outsourced them, my podcast went back to weekly again because it, it, nothing gets in the way now. So uh, I'd uh, I, I recommend Dawn, who also is a podcast guest uh, from Lidwell Writing Services, who does our amazing show notes, or rather her team do. I'm sure she's got oh, far wow. too much going on now to be able to do that. So what about? Um, when things don't go well for you, when you have a bad day, or perhaps you, perhaps it's a, isn't it, perhaps that doesn't happen. <laughs> perhaps, <laughs> perhaps you've got divine intervention. Oh no, it happens all the time. <laughs> <laughs> so, so it goes all a bit horribly wrong. How do you, how do you deal with it? Um, well, my, my wife is an incredible listener, first of all. And then, um, the, the other thing that I tend to do is, is I, try to be intentional about carving out some quiet time for, in, in my case, prayer, but I would recommend it to anyone, even if it's just silent meditation. Um, I find that whatever I take in has a direct result on, on what I give out. So if I've had a lot of um, struggles in the day, then I tend to want to struggle with other people as well. So I've got to reset the paradigm by intaking something. So I'll, I'll go to scripture, I'll go to meditation, I'll take 10 minutes and just um, do that as a kind of a, a reset to get my mind right. And then I, I also am a, a huge fan of accountability. And we're a, a Methodist church here at Restoration. And John Wesley, um, he was a big believer in, in these things called band meetings. So every Friday I get together with another pastor and we confess our sins to each other. And it, it's slightly horrible. Um, <laughs> just in the sense that it's, it's slightly hard to do. horrible going together. <laughs> right. Well, it's, it always starts out horrible. And then by the end it's life giving and freeing. And because you know, the, the hardest part about secrets is that you don't tell them. And yeah. so when you, when you begin to confess kind of those deep, dark feelings in your life, uh, it is such a freeing event. So overcoming that initial cliff, is the hardest part but then once you're on the other side then it's like whoo i feel so much better i just lifted a thousand pounds off my chest yeah 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 excellent so um i've got to do that have i meet somebody and tell them all the bad things i've done to make myself feel just, better <laughs> just do better sins, right and I, you know i've got an account so again i said i'm an extrovert but i've got an accountability partner that i meet with weekly i've got a counselor that i see monthly and yeah. then uh, and then I've got my wife who is, who's absolutely the best and, and a, you know, my best friend. And so I get mm. to go home to her every night. And if I keep good, healthy people in my life to surround me, then I'm less likely to be a jerk and I'm more likely to be healthy. 
I think it's it's great to hear that. I think um, we, it sort of it could open a can of worms to make this comment, and we're running out of time. But there's there's a lot of um, talk at the moment about men not sharing things and not sharing their emotions and not right. having that support. And I think it's just great when when you know to talk to to men who have got those things in place and do understand the importance of that because I do think it is so important and and isn't and you you must see that in your work it's incredible on the difference different kind of person that I am when I'm doing the things that keep me healthy yeah and 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 I don't ever see them as a chore anymore what I see them as uh what a term that I use in the army a force multiplier if I do these things, then I get to continue to do whatever I want because I'm healthy, right? Mm -hmm. and, and you're not going to lose your job if you're healthy. You're not going to lose your family if you're healthy. You're not going to lose your, your passion and your mission if you're healthy. But the moment you become unhealthy, you make bad choices, you keep secrets, you do things that are outside of the values or whatever, and then things begin to crumble. I, I, mm -hmm. I heard a mentor once say that he's he's 24 hours away from ruining everything in his life and it's all based off the choices that you make on a daily basis mm. yes yeah absolutely hmm, thank you so let's flip it you know a bit more energetically yeah <laughs> positive sure, again. Sure. so on those days where where you've had the chance to live more so that's the bit where you get to do more of the stuff that you really want to do and less of the stuff you feel you have to do or you or you should do what does that day look like for you uh, for me, it's all about um, creating fresh and exciting content. So I, I love to write and podcast and speak. So if, if I can spend those morning hours creating fresh content and then my afternoon hours pouring into people and sharing life, then I've had a day where I've got to maximize every part of that. And, and yeah. in that included is my is spending that time with my kids and pouring into them and like throwing a little sports on top of that. And man, now you're cooking with gas. Mm. <laughs> love it. Love it. <laughs> Brilliant. So thank you, Tony. It's been, it's been great interviewing you. It's great thank speaking you, Joe. To you. I, I appreciate it. I, I love it. I love technology and, and I love your mission. Thank you for doing what you do. Lovely. So tell people how they can get in touch with you. Well, my, my blog and podcast can all be found online at uh, TWMilt twmilt.com and uh, you can look me up on Instagram or Facebook by the same uh, identifier twmilt. Yeah, lovely. Thank you, Tony. Thanks, Joe. Appreciate it. Stop feeling stuck and overwhelmed. Join Power to Live More Calm membership today and make an investment in your future. The Power to Live More Calm membership is designed for coaches and consultants struggling with the pressures of running a home-based business. You get access to our supportive community, including weekly Zoom calls, accountability, learning materials teaching you online marketing, audience building, income generation, and all sorts of other things you need to run your home-based business with ease, along with materials like templates, checklists, and planners to keep you motivated, organised, and productive. To learn more about the Power to Live More Calm membership program and apply, visit powertolivemore.com slash get calm. Use your power to live more.